Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to spend probably about 15 minutes just going through my situation now, you know, what I'm up to and the kind of things I'm into at the moment. And then as soon as I've done that, then I'm going to talk to you about the, the journey that I've been on and, you know, all the way really from school through to, again, the situation now. So I've been married for 30 years, got a 26-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son, so I feel reasonably old now. Obviously, got the grey hairs to prove it. And I actually started my entrepreneurial journey in my mid-30s. And I think it's fair to say that it wasn't part of any intentional strategy. It's like anything I think I've done in my life. It's all been about opportunity and kind of being in the right place at the right time and, and seizing that opportunity. And I think, you know, that that's a theme that's kind of followed me all the way through my career. Like I say, no plan, just seizing the opportunity. And I actually sold a company back in 2017. So I spent 20, well, I spent 17 years actually building the company. We, we sold to a, a, an American organization called Bamtech, which was part owned by uh, Disney. And that company now operates with the same team, pretty much, actually increased in size further under the Disney Streaming Services banner. So a really interesting organization that, that took over, really. And I now work as a, a non-exec, uh, an entrepreneur, and a, an investor. So I'm actually a non-exec and investor in, in three organizations. So, you know, uh, I've uh, all organizations that I've known for, for quite some time, the people behind them get on really well with everybody. You know, I really believe in in what they're doing and where they're taking the company. So, uh, put my money where my mouth is and invested in some of these companies, as well as uh, working with the entrepreneurs themselves as a, either a chairman or a non-exec, and and kind of mentoring and um, helping with some of the badges and scars that I've kind of picked up along the way, um, so they don't make the same kind of errors that I've made, and and do some of the things that I've done okay. That you know, hopefully they'll do those things well as well. I'm an investor in, in, in a number of other companies, and I'm also now, I guess, the founder and owner of, of, of three companies. So my first one actually was born out of the, the software development company that I sold in 2017. It was just an idea at that point. When that company was sold, a non-exec called Ian Brooks, who didn't have to work for the new organization, uh, came out and set up the company and had it branded and called it the startupfactory.tech. And the startup factory basically works with tech product startups and helps them. Uh, usually the, the, the entrepreneurs haven't got any kind of development or engineering, software engineering experience, and uh, but they have a great idea uh, and the determination and skill set to be an entrepreneur. So what we do at the startupfactory.tech is we back those entrepreneurs and we help them build their product and we make sure that they get off to the best possible start. And, you know, once we've built them a, a minimum viable product where they can test the market or maybe in 1.0 that they can take fully to market and start making money out of it. Once we've done that, then we, we slowly kind of exit that company and, and leave them to stand on their own two feet, hopefully having had a really, really great start. And it's a shared risk kind of philosophy there. So we, we take part cash payment and part sweat equity, just a small percentage in the company. And that allows that company to use their money and make it go a lot further than it would do ordinarily. Another company that I've recently set up, actually been working on for probably 12, 14 months now, 
is called Guider. It's an American organization, so it's actually Guider LLC, and it's a legal document platform. Uh, and my business partner is a New Yorker, Dave Zampano. Gets on really well with Dave, and his background really is is uh, he's a lawyer, and he works in the wills and trust kind of area of the legal world. And unsurprisingly, I guess the the first process and documents we're going to put on the platform uh, will be wills and trusts. So that will launch in the next month. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how that goes. We put a lot of effort into that. And I think, you know, it stands a really good chance of doing pretty well. Uh, and then finally, I've set up a company called EHE Capital. EHE Capital is a long-term project. I'm on this coaching program called Strategic Coach, as I've talked about many times on the podcast. And we look at 25-year periods. So one of my goals for the next 25 years is to build EHE capital into a really significant organization in the private equity world. And my business partner, Gary Fletcher, who's also from Strategic Coach and I, really want to try and get the focus back on the entrepreneur. We think that's been lost a little bit in the in the funding world. We want to really be there and help mentor and, and, and use our experience and th- that of our network to ensure the success of the companies that we find funding for. A quick fun fact, probably 11 years ago now, maybe even more than that, I achieved a black belt in karate, uh, which I was really pleased with and worked hard to get. uh, And actually probably the fittest point I'd ever been in my life. Really recommend it to anybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's people who are 70 years old still practicing karate. So age isn't a barrier. Okay, so that's kind of the situation now. So the journey. So yeah, it's interesting, actually. You look back and the reality was I was bang average at school. In some classes, I was okay. In some other classes, I was in the lower classes. And I kind of got five O levels to begin with and then picked up another couple along the way. I got just enough scraped through to get into the sixth form and do my A levels. Um, but the reality was that the way school was, it didn't inspire me. It wasn't my thing. I wasn't academic in that way. I actually found out um, a decade or so later I was dyslexic, which probably explains quite a few things, to be honest. You know, I did have the opportunity to go to university. I decided not to. I decided to go to work. I had no idea, as, as I, th- I suspect most sort of 17, 18-year-olds don't, what they want to do. I don't know how it happened, but I managed to get interviews with some retailers and I actually ended up working for Sainsbury's, although I was offered a job as a training manager at a a group of shoe shops, actually. And and that was was just a, a very quick, interesting size story. I actually had two paper rounds when I was at school. And I also, uh, with a friend, Dave Thomas, we both went to Altrincham, which is down the road from where we where we lived in Sale. Uh, and we knocked on every door of every shop and said, basically, give us a job. And we actually spoke to a lady who ran uh, Trueform uh, in Altrincham, part of the British Shoe Corporation, I think the group was, so like Freeman Hardware Willis, those kind of stores, and Dolce's. We had a, a brief interview with her, and she said, look, we'll, we'll give you a go. And, and actually, Dave and I you know, worked hard and, and made it work. And uh, I think we, you know, we, we actually did pretty well. And there was one time that you know, we used to be in the men's department upstairs, and we had a customer. And you're targeted with fancies, and, and fancies are things like shoe polish and you know, maybe a shoe horn or waterproofing or inner soles and all those kind of things. And we were targeted 15% of our shoe sales had to be... Uh, made up from from fancies 
Uh, and I, I, always, I always did pretty well, actually, on that. We had this lady in with a son and I served her. And we found shoes for a son. He tried them on, he liked them. And I sold a shoe polish, I sold a waterproofing, uh, and I sold a some inner So it was a really strong, fancy sell, probably in the region of 20% rather than 15%. Uh, and anyway, I didn't think anything of it. And uh, it turns out it was the district manager's wife. The district manager came in a week or so later and had a chat with me and actually offered me a, a training manager role with the uh, British Shoe Corporation. But St. Bruce was paying three grand more. It had a a really well-recognized uh, training manager scheme. So I joined Sainsbury's. And again, you know, I worked with Sainsbury's for 11 years and I was okay, probably average. I didn't excel. I didn't do really badly. I was just okay at it. And I worked my way up to a, a deputy manager's position. And then I saw a newspaper advert for an electrical superstar. And this is what I'm, I was talking about before, where every job I've had and every opportunity has literally been very opportunistic. I saw this advert and thought, you know what? I really fancy working in an electrical superstore. I love gadgets and, you know, I was a, a closet geek and it just appealed to me. So, uh, and I wasn't unhappy at Sainsbury's and uh, it's a great company to work for. But I went for the job and I got it and I decided to go for it. And I actually worked for them for, for 18 months. Very different environment. Uh, actually, the grass isn't always greener. It was, I enjoyed it but it was different. It was very focused on sales, whereas Sainsbury's was very much more operational. And I think in reality, I can do both reasonably well. Anyway, I did that for 18 months. And there I met somebody whose father was a very successful car dealer. He wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, but didn't want to sell cars on a forecourt. He wanted to use the internet, which back in sort of 1998, I think this was, uh, was actually sort of still relatively new at that point and nowhere near it in the, the advanced state that it is now. I, I, I got talking to to this guy who's sort of 10 years younger than me at this particular point. I was in my, probably in my early 30s looking back and we decided to set this company up. So that's exactly what we did. We set up a company called Netcars and we uh, effectively built a database, uh, a bit like Autotrader really, where car dealers, local car dealers uploaded their the cars that they were selling. And it was almost like a shop window for these car dealerships because at that point, not all of them or many of them even had their own websites, um, certainly not the ability to upload cars. And, you know, I did that for, for 18 months. And for various reasons, I decided that, not least actually, because I'd, uh, I'd met my soon-to-be business partner, a guy called Rob Harrop, and we got talking and we decided that we wanted to start our own business um, rather than working for somebody else. It was clear that he was he was a good salesman, actually, but he was an even better technologist. And I fancied myself as, a, as an entrepreneur, even though I knew absolutely nothing about running a business. And again, it was that opportunistic thing and, and maybe the willingness to take a bit of a risk. And, and bearing in mind at this particular point, I had a mortgage, I had um, my daughter was 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 probably two or three years old at this point. I'm sorry, a bit more than that, probably about five five or six years old at this point. And my wife was pregnant, but that didn't stop me. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do this. So we set up a company called Cake Solutions, which to begin with was um, a web design company. It became apparent very quickly that Rob's skills were way in advance of just doing kind of pure websites. We, you know, he he was really capable and we started to build websites with backends, which again, back in 
you know, early 2000, 2001, 2002 was really quite early days and databases were pretty basic at that point, but we were building more and more complex systems. So as technology advanced, the, the kind of um, projects that we worked on, you know, became more and more, more and more complex. And actually, you know, from really from 2001, when we formed the company through to probably about 2010, by then, I think we've probably got about 17 employees. So we certainly were not high growth and it was more of a lifestyle business. We weren't, we were ambitious, but we weren't massively ambitious. We wanted to earn a good living out of it, which we were doing. And it wasn't really until probably 2010 that we actually wanted to move the technologies that we specialized in. We wanted to move to something that wasn't as competitive. There wasn't as many players playing in that in, in that area as there were in the technologies that we were you know, specializing in uh, at that point. So we moved to this sort of new set of technologies. Now, it was a real gamble. We effectively bet the company at this point. And we, you know, and I say we, uh, my CTO was instrumental in this, Jan Mahacek, brilliant technologist. Uh, Rob had left Cake at this point, and he'd gone off to have a very successful career working with uh, another organization, which resulted in a really successful exit for him. And Jan and I built up a team, and we we carried on with the work that Kate was doing. And, you know, Jan was doing some experiments, and he identified, he said, look, guy, I think technology is moving in this direction. The demand for scalable systems is only going to increase. It was at the time, I don't know if you remember, if you're a certain age, you remember when Robbie Williams was playing at Nebworth. Um, you know, it was 100,000 tickets available. And the second you got onto the, the ticket site, it crashed. And, you know, it, it took you hours and hours and hours of it going up and then down and then up and down and people got bored and left. And, you know, eventually, if you were lucky, you kind of got a ticket. but you know, it was clear that there were that the current technologies couldn't deal with spikes in demand, uh, couldn't deal with uh, high throughput. So we moved to technologies that could cope with that and were particularly suited to thousands of concurrent computers being linked together, thousands of nodes, you know, lots of data being exchanged and 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 lots of concurrent users, thousands of concurrent users, and. We started to 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 use that technology, and to begin with, the corporates wouldn't touch it because it wasn't recognised technology. They weren't they were risk adverse. They wouldn't try something that was that new, even though actually it was a tried and tested academic technology prior to it becoming commercial. You know, it hadn't been in the commercial world long enough. We worked with startups, a couple of startups in particular. Uh, and the technology was great for them because it gave them a competitive edge. They had a really modern technology platform that allowed them to differentiate themselves from their competitors and their competitors being bigger companies. So they were more technically advanced than most big financial institutions because these were fintech companies. And I think overall, that stood them in good stead. And as the technology matured, more and more companies began to use this technology and we were selling to bigger and bigger companies. And, and we very quickly became a high growth company. So right, you know, from 2001, where I knew absolutely nothing about running a business through to sort of 2011, 2012, when we were starting to achieve high growth with this new niche technology that was becoming mainstream. And we were at the forefront of what was going on. And, you know, in, in, true kind of guy fashion we didn't do things in a in a normal way either and myself and the the senior team we had in place at that point 
really had no desire to run a sales team. We weren't that kind of organization, but clearly we needed sales to feed the beast. So what we decided to do was um, we do it differently. And what we ended up doing was we noticed that when our CTO, Jan, wrote a blog, um, and this is in the early days of blogging, when he wrote a blog, it was getting you know lots of attention. And we were starting to pick up clients from it. And we were also, and a nice byproduct as well, is we were getting noticed by people from within the industry who then contacted us who wanted to who wanted to work for us. We suddenly realized that that was kind of a, a really good way of, of promoting the business. So what we started to do was build a culture within the business. When we're hiring people, we talk to them about we would give them a platform to build their own personal brand. And we came up with this concept about people building personal brands. And this is way before, I mean, it's popular now, you know, most people are doing it. But back back at that point, you know, 2011, 2012, very few companies were using it as a tool to generate the kind of sales we were generating and to generate interest in the company so that we were hiring people from all over the world who wanted that badly to come and work for us that they moved from wherever they were, and we had 18 nationalities working for us at, at that particular juncture, they'd move from wherever their home was and they'd come and live in Manchester or they'd live in London or they'd live in New York where we started to open up our satellite offices. And the other really interesting byproduct of all that was that our eventual acquirer actually found us through um, some of the talks that Jan and the team were doing and some of the blogs that they were writing and some of the conferences that they were talking at and the books they were writing and so on. And it, you know, it was really interesting. So from not being able to run a, a company and have literally have no idea about cash flow or you know, HR laws or anything like that to fast forward to sort of 2016, 2017, we were uh, running a, a multinational, uh, international company that you know was turning over nine figures and and with a really healthy kind of net profit and it, and it was a, an amazing journey and it's fair to say that there were bumps a, a lot of bumps along the way and you know there was a couple of occasions where we we really kind of rode our luck. Well, it was a bit of you make your own luck. I think we we were really struggling. So the last five years, however, um, we ten times every parameter. We did things very differently. We stood out, and we were eventually acquired in two thousand and seventeen. And at a point when we weren't looking to sell, actually, a great company that came in, great people, and it just felt right. So we did it. Bringing it back to to now, you know, this is uh, going to go on the uh, this podcast is going to go on the EHE website. And I'd met Gary actually 10 years prior, uh, Gary Fletcher, my partner for EHE, uh, 10 years ago, a strategic coach, this coaching organization that we both attended and both rate and really enjoy and found, got so much from. And we got talking and we, you know, Gary was expressing his frustration at the, the way that uh, currently um, a lot of private equity companies operate and the, the loss of focus on the entrepreneur and the absolute focus on figures, um, no matter what the cost, and the way that things operate with the funding cycles that could really cause problems and that kind of thing. That And, and, and maybe some of these slightly, maybe underhand is the wrong word, but you know we'll use it for now, underhand ways that um, companies operate, private equity companies operate to to pay less for the organization in the end. So, you know, we really wanted to become different to that. And um, so EHE was born and, 
you know, our aim is to work directly with the entrepreneur and help them become even more successful and help them really drive the business forward and and mentor them and and support them and not get in the way and not run the 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 company uh, via a spreadsheet. You know, financials are massively important, probably one of the most important things. But you know, things like gut feel of the entrepreneur and the creative side of the entrepreneur and their team uh, are also just as important. So we kind of want to change the way things are done. We want to be very transparent about fees. Everything has to be on the level. Uh, And and that's what EHG is about. And and that kind of, I think that encapsulates my attitude to business uh, and Gary's attitude to business in general. And I think it's fair to say we run our companies uh, like that as well. So yeah, so really looking forward to the next 25 years of EHE Capital and obviously being involved um, with the with the other companies that I kind of mentioned right at the, the outset of this podcast. So yeah, I hope you got something out of that. If I can do it, I think everyone can do it. The opportunity is there for, for everybody. You just have to see opportunities and, and take a few risks along the way and ride the wave and see where it takes you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community. 